The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who remembers what Noah Syndergaard used to be. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Dial back that clock, Jordan, and throw 99 for me one time. Why don't you? <laughs> 99. I mean, that was that was easy peasy for for old Thor. I mean, we're, we're talking chilling with a 101 mile an hour sinkers uh, in the World Series. I was thinking a lot about uh, Mr. Syndergaard. By the way, hello, Jake. It's, it's good to see you on this hello. fine Monday morning, the day of game three. You are back in Philadelphia. Uh, where you will you will return to the the madhouse that is Citizens Bank Park tonight. Um, on this episode, we're going to preview Game Three. We're going to also talk about Pat Hoberg's perfect game, and we'll do a little Arenado shot at the end since we have a little bit more time on this Monday morning, and it's not one a.m. and Jake is at a ballpark and there's leaf blowers and everything. So we're gonna, <laughs> we're going to actually talk about some non World Series stuff later. But but yeah, let's 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 just dive right into it because our pitching matchup tonight is Noah Syndergaard and Lance McCullers Jr. And both of these guys, though they're not that old, have been in our in our baseball lives for for quite a while. Maybe not as long as, as a guy like Bryce Harper, but they both made their their postseason debuts way back in 2015. And Lance uh, made his postseason debut against the Royals. I had forgotten how crazy this DS was. Do you remember what happened in this in this DS against Kansas City? Yeah, the ball went through Correa's legs. Yes, and they lost. There, were, there were all kinds of Houston miscues after a very strong uh, Lance McCullers start. Um, the Royals came back. They came back and then won the series, and then they won the whole thing, ultimately against Noah Syndergaard and the Mets. But I remember it well because I was in Denmark in 2015, of course, and I remember staying up until 5 a.m. to watch the World Series, and I remember this is also when people were like, Hey, Noah Syndergaard's Danish. Like, and they were like tracing, and there was like this New York Times story, like tracing Noah Syndergaard's Danish roots. And I was watching him in Denmark at like 6 a.m. And I I just have a very vivid memory of, of the mail being delivered in the morning from from a Danish Vespa as I was watching Noah Syndergaard in like the sixth inning. <laughs> did people care? Did the Danes <laughs> oh no? Did the Danes show? No, no, no shot, no shot. But but yeah, man, Cinder. But but as you mentioned, he's not exactly uh, the same dude now, and we'll we'll get into some of that. But what are you thinking about heading into this game three? I'm thinking about Noah Syndergaard, and I, as a neurotic Jew, Jordan, I'm thinking about the worst case scenario for the <laughs> Philadelphia Phillies, and here's what it is. Okay, their advantage in theory, if it does really matter, and I think it does, is the crowd, right? And there is no better way to take a crowd out of a game than to punch a team in the mouth in the top of the first inning. And there is a world in which the Astros just pummel Noah Syndergaard in the top of the first and go up 4-0, and it's, that's it. Then it's done. They just smoke him then, smoke him the next day, smoke him the next day, and, and it's <laughs> done in five. Like That is a, a, a way the world could transpire. And I'm worried about that. 
That said, you know, Phillies fans say, well, hey, what the fuck? We just went down 5 nothing and we came back. I actually think, to your point, I do think it is more painful to have that happen in the top of the first at home, right? Especially for this crowd where it's waiting for it. Whereas Houston, the weird thing was, yes, they went up early at home, right, in that first game. But then when the Phillies were batting, like, they, they were kind of chilling, right? It's not like they were on top of them in the same way. It was just like, oh, yeah, we're up. All right, cool. And the Phillies could kind of work their way back into it and ease into it. But to your point, when you're when the home crown loses it within, if it happens in, if imagine the same thing happens in four pitches the way it did in game two, it, it, it makes the road ahead, especially when we're talking about the Phillies pitching death over these next three days, it makes the road ahead look quite treacherous. Now, to be fair, it did happen in NLCS game four. Mm-hmm. When the Padres put up four against Bailey, not so good, falter <laughs> in the top of the first, and the Phillies came back and won. Yeah. Right? Yep. It was a little different circumstances. The Padres pitching is not the Astros pitching. The series was two to one and not tied. I just, I worry, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, the neurotic Jew in me worries for the Phillies in the top of the first. Now, Cindergaard has been reliable to solid this postseason. Mm -hmm. He started, I believe, game four of the NLDS at home against the Braves, a game in which Philly won, Mm -hmm. a game in which I believe Syndergaard went three innings and allowed one run on a solo shot from Orlando Arcia, of all freaking people. And so there is a path to him being fine. Jordan, let's talk about this right now. Syndergaard, how many outs does he (laughs) collect tonight? Right. So I think that, that that game four start against Atlanta is instructive, right? Because in that game, he goes three innings. So he gets he gets nine outs. And the the rest of the path for that game was now this is also when the Braves bullpen is just totally imploding. So again, a little bit less likely with Houston. But the rest of the path for that game was Bellotti won, Brad Hand won, Alvarado one and two thirds, Eflin one and two, th- one and a third, and then Sir Anthony. So the the point being, whether it's that specifically or not, the point being, it does seem unlikely that the Phillies are hoping to get six out of Syndergaard tonight. Like I, I mean, this is a guy they moved to the bullpen at the end of the season on purpose because he wasn't one of their best starting pitchers, right? Like that did happen this year. Like that was, they had already made that decision. And so Sure, they they I think that he is maybe their best option at this stage to get three innings done, maybe even four. But I, I can't imagine that they're expecting much more from that for them. So in terms of the number of outs that I would set that they get from him, I would set it at probably eight and a half, uh, just knowing that the 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 challenge that, that lies ahead. But but also, I mean, in in a series that's tied, and you know you're playing at least a couple more games here after this. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of innings to cover here, and that that is as we talked about before the series. This is where the gap is really going to widen, I think, between these two teams. Let's talk about Noah Syndergaard and the how we got here. Yes, okay, because he remains probably one of the twenty to twenty five to thirty most famous baseball players in the world. Certainly, pitchers and, recognizable. I mean, he is hundred percent right. He has everything. He has the name. He pitched in New York. He has a very whether it's him tweeting or not, a <laughs> very active social media account, right? Not as much lately. He has been, he and 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 look at him, right? I mean, <laughs> come on. He, just, he doesn't look like all the other uh, Connors and, and Kyles uh, in, on the baseball field. He's, he's unmistakable. Unmistakable? 
unmistakable. You can't miss the guy. You see him down the street. You see this this motherfucker walking to, to you on the street, and you know he's a famous person, right? Now, and that that's important. That plays, right? But he's not good anymore. He's not bad right now, but he's not Noah Syndergaard that you met. He's not the no. guy you first met. He has changed over the years. And how did this happen? Okay, so comes up with the Mets. Good for the Mets. Throwing 98 for the Mets. Lovely, wonderful. And then his elbow, believe it or not, goes kablooey. Sure does. Sure does. As we've learned, uh, when you throw super hard all the time, that is usually your fastest way to getting Tommy John surgery. Now, maybe not for you, but <laughs> for Thanks. most pitchers, it is uh, throwing very hard a lot uh, to get to, you know, fastest express lane to Tommy John. So he gets like the last Tommy John surgery during the pandemic, like the beginning of the pandemic, like March 2020. Like people are going, like the hospitals are overflowing with COVID patients and Syndergaard's like, cut me open, buddy boy. Kind of not the best move in the world, but whatever. Then he comes back from it and he's a great reminder that Tommy John is not automatic. Okay. It is not an 100% success rate in terms of returning to the pitcher you once were. Maybe he will one day. It might take him a little bit more time. But Noah Syndergaard now two and a half years removed from his surgery date is not the same guy. Luis Severino, who got Tommy John a day before me uh, and three weeks before Noah Syndergaard, Mm -hmm. is essentially back stuff-wise to the pitcher he was beforehand, right? Mm -hmm. And he's an example of Tommy John works. Um, no, here, Noah Syndergaard is an example of that Tommy name. John doesn't always work. Uh, Justin Verlander. <laughs> now he's he's another extreme case, but he also got it uh, in that same you know six six month window or so. And and yeah, no, it's and and it's not. This is the thing. I I have no beef with no like I feel bad for him. Like it's just luck, right? It's just kind of how this works. And yes, Tommy John is is a big success or Yes, he's still a major league pitcher. But it's it's not even close. I mean, here just just for contrast here, we're not just saying oh he doesn't throw hard anymore. Sure he doesn't. Maybe you say oh you're being harsh. You know he doesn't. Okay sure he's not throwing 100 miles an hour. You know 50 times a game. Okay sure. His max velo this year is 96.4. And the thing is he's pitched the whole season. He's been healthy. Or as far as we know, it's not like he's had like setbacks or anything, right? Like he's been out there. He's still he's still posting. He's still pitching. 96.4 is his max field this year. 95.9 is his max this postseason. He threw eight pitches above 96 miles an hour all season. In 2019, he threw 1,700 pitches <laughs> over 96 miles an hour. Where he's just It's just not the same guy. He's just not the same guy. Now, what he is now is, like you said, like he's kind of an innings eater. Now, he's still throwing you know 95-mile-an-hour sinkers, and it's not like those are easy to hit, but it's not the same. And when you're facing a team like Houston – it is dangerous because what Noah Syndergaard does not do anymore, not that he really did it even when he was throwing hard, is strike anybody out. And that is when you look at the Angels giving him $21 million and you say, okay, well, this is, you better hope that he's the same guy or close or otherwise this is going to be very goofy. Now, the Phillies didn't, you know, they, they didn't, that's not how much they paid for. Sure, they're paying for the second half of the contract, whatever. They don't care about that. They, they got him because he was useful and he was useful down the stretch. 
But now it's you need more than useful. We need we need we need the best three innings of his life, uh, and we'll see we'll see what we get. So this is the thing that's very cool to about tonight. I think the type of job Syndergaard is being asked to do is very forgettable. That the Phillies could have just asked Kyle Gibson or Bailey Falter. I mean, they did. To try and do this exact same thing, get through the order one time, have a have a beer, right? The potential for narrative richness and sporting heroism tonight is very high because if Syndergaard goes out there and for some, by the grace of the God above, carves up the Houston Astros in the World Series, what a redemption story. This dude who we... Is washed. He, eh, he's half washed. He's, he's, he's not. Washed. He's not washed. He's just again. It's relative to what the superhero we we were used to watching, and 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 that's the thing. Like I don't. He's going to be a free agent again this winter. Like he's not getting twenty one million dollars again next year. Like there's no way. Like he is at this point a useful back end starter. But to your point, right? Like, am I expecting them to ask him to get six innings? No, but. There is maybe a five or ten percent chance that he is rolling, you know, through three or four, and and you know, and the, like, and the Phillies are up like three to zero. Yeah, and, and like, Thompson's like, it. you know what? Let's steal a few more outs. Now that could backfire horribly, right? That's also a scenario for this. But it, you're right. Anything past the third or the fourth, you're so right, will be truly heroic. I saw a report. I think it was Matt Gelb, but Syndergaard did throw an extended simulated game i think he threw six innings worth of simulated game the other day which he's they're hoping i mean it's in the bag well uh jordan any yeah. last thoughts on Cindergard before we switch over to lance McCullers, colors the starter yeah for the yeah no i mean to your point like maybe they're hoping but again i just i'm just looking at it, 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 I'm, I'm torn because on, on one hand thompson's been managing with such urgency that i have to think that if it's close so they have a lead that they're going to pull the plug quickly on the other hand they have these two more games to get through after this if not more particularly in philly back to back to back days i just <laughs> that's where i think there's just so someone else is going to have to stop they cannot get through these three games with the four pitches that they've used especially since two of them are not going to be starting the games so <laughs> that's where it does make me think maybe they do want to get more length out of Syndergaard. i'm fascinated with it but let's move over to the other starter because uh, lance mccullough is another one who's i think about Syndergaard's age maybe a little bit like a year younger or so another guy who came up made his uh, postseason debut in 2015 as we mentioned um but Lance, as, as I wrote about for Fox today, is a totally different, like 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 Syndergaard, is a totally different pitcher than he was then. Also, likely due to a lot of injuries. Except the difference is that Lance is still awesome. <laughs> and, and Lance McCullough Jr. has figured out a way to, he has basically now crafted this repertoire that is unlike almost any other starting pitcher in baseball, where not only is he completely done with four-seam fastballs and throwing sinkers, he's throwing fewer fastballs than basically any other starting pitcher uh, in the game. It is mostly sliders, curves, and changeups. He's only throwing his sinker about 25% of the time this year. And, and it's working because the Astros know what the hell to do with a guy whose repertoire is changing. And credit to Lance for figuring it out and being like, look, I don't throw 98 anymore, so I'm not going to keep trying to throw it past people. I'm just going to rely on throwing you know, 10 off-speed pitches in a row, and then my 93 looks like 103. And that works. And and he, you know, with his postseason experience and, and with all the big games he's pitched in, 
I mean, that's why that's why you trust him in, in a game like this. It is appropriate to me, though, that that's the type of guy that he is now, mm-hmm. right? Because the most enduring moment of his entire career was the 24 consecutive curveballs against the Yankees to close out the 2017 ALCS, right? Yes. And so for him to be the breaking ball heavy guy is like, for us, it kind of makes sense, right? It fits the what we know about Lance or what most people know about Lance. Totally. But at the same time, it was funny because I was looking at his pitch mix for his first two postseason starts this um, this October. And, I mean, he barely threw any fastballs against the Mariners when he dominated. But then he threw way more sliders uh, against the Yankees than, you know, we, you know, we associated five years earlier. Only threw 14 curveballs against New York. And that was arguably his worst start of the year. Um, against against the Yankees, a season high eight hits allowed, uh, but he still got through five innings. And like we said, like the the other weird thing about Lance's postseason resume is that it is it is lengthy. I mean, he's he's been it feels like we've watched him a bunch, but he's also missed out on two World Series runs, having had Tommy John after 2018, where he was just pitching through a torn UCL for the 2018 postseason. Like he basically admitted that as soon as the season was over, gets TJ misses out on the 2019 run, and then last year I had forgotten about this. He he kind of gets hurt during the DS against the White Sox and then is just not there for the rest of the postseason. That could have been a huge difference. I mean, the, the Astros pitching by the end of the, the postseason last year was was much thinner, and it certainly cost them. But, you know, Lance wasn't there for those last two rounds. So I, I have to imagine he's, you know, he's obviously thrilled to be back, and, and he's used to it. I mean, he's, he's been there for all of these runs, and I'm sure he'll be there again for for, for more in, in the future. But um, but yeah, I mean, hey, first first game ever pitching uh, in Philly for him, so that'll be cool. I'm sure he will certainly not be phased by the crowd. I would imagine. Well, uh, I was going to say the combo there yeah. is very interesting mm-hmm. of Lance McCullers versus the crowd because he is like a brash, you know, very emotive guy mm-hmm. with a lot of confidence. I think it could go one of two ways. Like I think either he could, if he carves, he's going to shut them up and he'll put like his finger to his ear. <laughs> And like egg them on. But I also think that if it if it totally falls apart, it could eat them up. I do. I think that that could happen. These, yeah. this crowd is different, man. These people are, are fucking weird. They're nuts. They're they're bonkers. I love them. And I, I do think it matters. Like I do. There's a reason they're undefeated at home in the postseason this year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, too, like it's particularly the kind of pitcher, I think you're right, right? The emotions could go both the two ways. You know, the first, first two posing starts this October were both on the road, but it's not the same. It's definitely not the same. But also, like, as good as Lance is, like, command is still not necessarily a strong suit. So you can imagine that that if that starts slipping, then you then you have some some issues there. So other than that, what what besides the, I think the starting pitching matchup is, is just fantastic and super interesting, great contrast. But anything else specifically for game three? Because, you know, what we'll talk, there's so much that's going to happen in this game that's going to determine the next two. So I'm not even going to try to forecast four and five yet. Um, but other things that you're you're focusing on in, in game three. Bryson Stott. This man is putting at-bats together, Jordan. He is seeing so many pitches per plate appearance right now. I don't have the number in front of me. I didn't look it up. Sorry. He just, it feels like he's fouling off like eight pitches every at bat. And he, he basically single-handedly torpedoed the Verlander start because he had the nine or Mm -hmm. 10 pitch at bat against him. 
and then drew a walk and that bumped Verlander's pitch count up and was instrumental in the Phillies getting to him in the next inning. Like, I think Stott is a huge X factor right now. Totally agree. Curious where he bats in the lineup. I mean, I assume he'll still be pretty far down there, but it's also a valuable thing to have at the bottom of the order. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's funny because like watching him and and, and again, I, I do believe that he can develop into a plus major league hitter where he's but like the value of him right now is taking close pitches, fouling pitches off, and drawing a walk. Because the ones that that have ending in, you know, ground outs to second or you know, weak pop flies, I'm like, oh still. But you're you're to your point. To your point, he is he is taking so many pitches. It does feel that way. I was going to look into that as well, uh, where he's at pitches per plate appearance. So yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. I think that's a great one. That, you know, they they saw Lance at the end of that in the end of the regular season. He was he was the one that started against Nola in the clincher, uh, gave up the leadoff homer to Schwarber, and then was pretty good for the rest of the game. But so they have seen him uh, somewhat recently. But I do think it will it will be uh, it will be a nice a nice a, a nice challenge for for the Phillies to to see Lance again. The other thing I'm interested in, and by the time you're listening to the podcast, this might already be out, Hmm. but what does Rob Thompson do with the Phillies lineup? We had talked about this a little bit the other day when we previewed the series about hitting Castellanos five behind Harper and how that is not enough protection for Harper and how the Astros will just walk or pitch around Harper and not have to face him. And in game one that the Astros ended up losing and the Phillies ended up winning, this happened. This happened in the seventh or eighth inning. There was runners on first and second and two outs and Harper was up. And instead of pitching to him, they pitched the hell around him. They kept Brian Abreu in there to just pitch around him. They walk him, base loaded two outs, bring in Naris, strikes out Castellanos. Now, I think we all watched game one and know that right now, JT Realmuto is a better baseball hitter man than Nick Castellanos. That yeah. plus, here's the, the other part. Of it. Do you want Bryce Harper hitting as many times as possible? People ridiculed Aaron Judge <laughs> or, the, or Aaron Boone for batting Aaron Judge first. For mm-hmm. the, the, but at the end of the day, like you just want him hitting, getting to the plate as many times as possible. You want to increase the chances that he hits more than everyone else. And the idea of Bryce Harper ending the game on deck, right? is just inexcusable to me. Now, again, Rob Thompson has gotten here because he doesn't panic and he doesn't switch things up and whatever. Did you see his quote about it, though, during game one? It was pretty amazing. It was something along the lines of, like, I I didn't want to panic and overthink it, so I asked everybody in the clubhouse (laughs) when I came in that day. Sounds like you're thinking about it. Overthinking doesn't mean thinking, my man. But I appreciate the honesty, right? Because we're all thinking it. <laughs> so I'm not blaming him for over whatever he qualifies as thinking or overthinking. I do agree that that it, I think your point is it's not even about the protection, right? I just want Bryce Harper batting. The fact that Bryce Harper doesn't bat every first inning, and I'm not listen. I I, I love. I understand they they like going you know Reese too, and but I mean that's another thing I would consider is have Bryce go second. And have really keep real move to third. I don't know. There's a lot of different versions. The For thing there, is, they want to split the lefties up. That's I, I, I understand that, but but it's also just like when you're talking about the best, best, best players. Like again, you just want the batting as much as possible. So either way, now yeah, what the decision that Thompson is making here to boil it down, right? Mm-hmm. He is choosing to prioritize the vibe, mm-hmm. essentially the confidence 
and the mental approach of his players over the statistically optimal move, the, mm-hmm. the, the optimal order, which would obviously be to not bat uh, scuffling Nick Casianos behind the hottest hitter we've ever seen. That's a no-brainer. But he's like, I don't want to put these guys in a bad mood. And part of me is like, LOL, okay, whatever. And then the other part of me is like, well, there's they're here. And they're here mm-hmm. because Rob Thompson does shit like this. And he has a pulse of his players. And he does know how to get the most out of his guys over the course of the season, as we've seen, this group, right? Mm-hmm. And so I find it difficult to critique, even though I just did, the dude who took this team from Girardi hell and carried them to the World Series. 100%. But this one just feels so duh to yeah. me. Yeah, I agree. And I think, too, you know, you could also say, for I'm sure there's some part of him that feels statistically that, hey, having Real Mudo ahead of him, more chance for RBIs for Harper, I'm more focused on that than, than you know, him having protection, whatever. The point is, it's, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's on one hand, it makes no sense. On the other hand, what are you going to tell him? He's wrong. He's Rob Thompson. He's the greatest manager Philadelphia's ever had. So, <laughs> so that's that's kind of what we're dealing with. And yeah, I, I I am I am curious to see if if they make any changes. I doubt it, but I like I don't know what would have to happen. Like because what happened in game one, and then they ended up winning, right? But what happened in game one is exactly was exactly the scenario we're talking about, and they didn't change it. And so, you know, that's uh, I feel like it'll stay the same. I ended up after game one writing an article for Vox about JT Real Muto mm-hmm. because that was the story. Also, wait, quick thing. So I write this JT Real Muto article and my my intro is basically he gets domed in the face five innings before and then hits two of the biggest swigs of his life. Mm-hmm. Wow, JT Real Muto. And I write it and I wake up and Ken Rosenthal has the like the same general <laughs> three paragraphs to his story. And I'll just be frank. There's a lot of imposter syndrome that comes along with the job that Jordan and I do, especially where we came from in this industry of just fucking around, Mm -hmm. right? And now we're trying to, like, sometimes do real work. Mm -hmm. And so when you're sitting around all these people who, like, went to Syracuse Journalism School or whatever and are, like, professionals and, like, know these terms that you don't know, maybe, you feel like you're an imposter. And I said this last year to someone and, and they were like, you're an imposter. That's why you feel this way. To wake up and to see that me and Ken Rosenthal, I wrote a worse version of a Ken Rosenthal story, mm. made me feel really nice. And hey, and was important for my own ego and mental health, I have to be honest with you. Yeah, and, and yours wasn't behind a paywall, so that's a huge win. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's, not, that's not fair. Support good work. But my point no, is, before Obviously, I wrote this yeah, whole yeah. JT Real Muto story, my whole story was about how Rob Thompson – needs to change the lineup because mm. the Phillies lost because they <laughs> walked Nick Castellanos. And so that will never see the light of day because yeah. they ended up coming back and no one gives a fuck about it. But it could be a thing as we move forward. I was going to say, yeah, save that. You, uh, my, my paywall comment was more to prove that his work was better than yours. Um, yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's that's game three. We can't wait. Uh, we can't wait for do, it. Yeah. Do you have any outrageous predictions about tonight? Not like who will win or anything like that, but is there anything you're, you're just feeling in the universe you go outside, you lick your finger, you put it in the air, you take a smell of the Indiana autumn. Is <laughs> there any, any, any winds blowing your way, Jordan? Here's, a, here's an insane one. I don't know if I believe this, but I'm just going to say it out there. Close game, like a lot of offense, 
lot of offense from both teams. And then like the seventh, Justin Verlander goes out to the bullpen. <laughs> Justin Verlander goes out to the bullpen. I'm not saying he comes in, but he goes out there. And it's like, whoa, okay, everyone's available. Oh, man, both teams are treating this like game seven. I don't know. I was told I wasn't in his press conference, but I was told he was outrageously pissy the other day in his post game press conference. Like he refused to like answer questions. Well, I mean, yeah. What? <laughs> like, what do you want? I look. I, I I know. We 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 just you know talked about how much we appreciate Garrett Cole for even after he gets shelled, he gives very good answers. That's true. But we know that's few and far between. I, I mean, most most pitchers are, are pissy, right? When they get, especially when they move to Owen, you know, Owen six with a six ERA in the World Series. I mean, that's it's kind of to be expected. A big prediction for me tonight. I think Jordan Alvarez fucking rips one. I think he's gonna hit a ball nine thousand feet off of. <laughs> Like Andrew Bellotti mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. probably Brad Hand, actually. I yeah, think he if, hits, if, it'd be left on left. You get a hand there against him. I think Brad Hand, who looked good the other night, scoreless inning, I think, I think Alvarez just gets him. Mm-hmm. Is this tonight, Jordan? We had the Gene Segura game. We had mm. the GT Real Muto game. Mm. We had the Chas McCormick game. Is tonight's game anyone's game? That's a great question. I was going to say, I mean, he's already had a couple, but I'm sure Chaz McCormick will be getting some extra screen time and his, his family and friends uh, from, from Westchester. So that's, that is certainly an option. Go uh, birds. Yeah. See, to me, I think it's more likely that it's a pitcher, a Phillies pitcher that shows up even more than, than, than maybe they expected. Get one or two more outs than they expected to from a Phillies pitcher in a win. Um, that 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 feels more likely. Maybe it's Brogdon. Maybe it's you know. Maybe it's Nick Nelson. I mean, come on, let's give Nick Nelson some love. <laughs> I think we're gonna get a Castellanos moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's coming on offense. I don't on offense. I don't <laughs> think he's going to hit well, mm-hmm. okay. but I think he will come up and get a hit in an important moment. As lost as he has looked. I understand this year has gone very poorly for him in Philly and that he's not, has not been worth the big contract they gave him. But for whatever reason, like he was too good at hitting for too long for this to completely fall apart mm-hmm. this way. He's still hitting fifth because they trust him for some reason. Rob Thompson's not a total dodo. Mm-hmm. So there's just a part of me that's like he's going to have a moment. And the other thing to keep an eye on is Alec Bohm is locked in right now. Yep. He is hitting a lot of balls incredibly hard. He has had mm-hmm. a lot of loud outs. Mm-hmm. A lot of hard hit outs. He never hits the ball in the air at all. So he's probably not going to hit a home run. And his batting average for the postseason starts with a one. But there's just – he looked really dialed in in Houston. Mm-hmm. So he's another guy. He's a key part of that order, right? Because he's the flip guy. When he's on, you're like, oh, man, that's a great top six. And when he's not, you're like, Castellanos is fine. It's really just four hitters in the lineup. And so I think Bohm is is a big key here. Uh, hey, how about another extremely lit Reese Hoskins home run at home? Wouldn't mind it. Wouldn't mind it. All right, let's take a quick break, and we're going to be back talking about Perfect Pat, the Hoberg Perfecto. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. 
Hey everyone, this is Lindsay Rhodes, host of the NFL Roadshow, a SiriusXM podcast, inviting you to join me three, yes, three times a week for NFL analysis that goes beyond the low-hanging fruit. On Mondays, we react to the biggest stories of the NFL weekend. On Wednesdays, we pick one topic to really dig in on. And on Fridays, I'll give you all the fantasy football advice you need in just 15 minutes. We call it the Fantasy 15. Download new episodes of the NFL Roadshow right now on the SXM app, included with all of our trials and popular plans, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Jordan, we are in Philadelphia. Oh, uh, welcome back to uh, Baseball Barbercast uh, podcast you're listening to. Um, there is a big debate here in Philadelphia, generally. Yeah, what, what's ab- that? About cheese steaks. Mm-hmm. About Pats versus Geno's. <laughs> now, yes. I have no dog in the fight. I have no stake in the ring. I have no stake in the matter. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. That being said, cheese this week... Yep. She's taking the matter. This week, the winner is Pat. Pat's, Pat's, Pat, Pat, Pat. Because Pat Hoberg, the greatest umpire in the world, called a perfect game in game two of the World Series. Jordan, before we give Pat his praises, can you explain to the people what a perfect game is, how this is tracked? You have been following along with perfect game umpire quality all season long because you are a lovable nerd and I appreciate you. Please explain this to everyone. Yes. So uh, as we know, living in the future, uh, we have so much information at our fingertips when it comes to baseball. And the strike zone is one that we every year we get more and more information about what it is, and there are more and more sites tracking what the strike zone is and how it is how it is captured and all these things. We have Savant, we have the Savant zones, we have the game day zones, we have the Brooks baseball zones. There's all kinds of different things. And then there's how MLB judges it, which is slightly different and maybe a secret, whatever, how they judge their umpires. The point is, my one of my favorite uh, things that has come up in the baseball internet in the last couple of years is a Twitter account and website and project, which I believe is run by uh, some Boston University college students, which shouts out to them known as umpire scorecards. And what they do is they have created a bot that after every single game, every game during the season, at 10.30 a.m. Eastern time, after the, the next day, they tweet out a scorecard of the umpire and the balls and strikes that they called during that game in a zone that is adjusted for both. It is not just based on the game day one or based on the TV box that you see or based on the stat cast. It is based on the, the stat cast game day, uh, zone plus it is adjusted for the hitter's heights between every at bat. And so that is where there's some discrepancies with each one, but they, they adjust it accordingly. The point is, and that is why it doesn't always match up with the box you see in the broadcast. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cause that box moves mm-hmm. less yes. depending on the height of the hitter. Aaron judge and Jose Altuve have very, very different zones. Duh. Not, not only moves less, but also the camera angle that you're getting on a broadcast, especially in the postseason, when often it is way more offline than you see during the regular season, it is just not a perfect representation. So if you go back and you watch, you're like, "Oh, well, that, that he missed that call." These zones were adjusted, but here's what here's what is most important. They have been doing this for years. They have this going back for years. They they, they retroactively did it all the way back to 2015 when they had the first Statcast data. And as I've been tracking this season, there has never been a game when when the scorecard was spent out 
There was not one missed call according to this zone. So even if you want to argue with the specific details with how they've, they've done this, the fact that it has never happened until now goes to show you, one, how hard it is, and two, how locked in Pat Hoberg was in his World Series debut. Now, you might be listening, who the hell is Pat Hoberg? Why are you acting like he's the greatest umpire ever? Are you just saying that because he just funny. had this perfect game? Well, the thing is, is if, you've tra- if you have been keeping up with the data and you have looked at this website before, you know that Pat's been money the whole damn time since he became a full-time umpire a few years ago. He has been the number one ranked ump at the top, most consistent. On average, he's averaging about 95% accuracy uh, for each game. And you might think, is that good? Is that bad? Well, the worst umps average about 91%. So this it doesn't sound like a lot, but think about like three to four to seven missed calls in a game. That's what we're talking about when you talk when you're freaking out about umpires. That's really all you're talking about. And to not have those means you're one of the best umpires in the world. And what Pat Hober was able to do in this game too was just amazing and so hilarious that it truly finally happened. We have had, I think, nine or ten games this year where an umpire missed one call according to the scorecard. And I always thought, man, are we ever gonna see it? Are we ever gonna see? It? I thought we were gonna see it in the regular season. We never did. And then here, here he is, the, the one guy we we could have hoped. And uh, it's just it's just so funny. It's so cool. And I, I I love it. Like, look, we're all going to spend more time shitting on umps than praising them. But when they when they deliver like this and in, in an age when robot umps are coming, uh, you, you just got to love performances like this. A man at the World Series did something in his line of work that had never been done before. And that deserves praise. It deserves to be celebrated. It's remarkably hard to do. Right. <laughs> And for him to do it on that big stage, he was just locked in. Pat was zoned in he was. on the zone. Yeah. Okay. He knew where everything was coming. And let me say, Framber is probably one of, I would imagine, the harder pitchers to call a good zone for because you have to, like, the curveball is looping through, the sinker is nipping the bottom. And riding in on guys' hands. And so for him to do this with Fromber is even more impressive, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I mean, again, we're talking about, you know, usually on average, there's like 120 to 150 pitches that you have to call, right? Because, you know, other ones just get swung out or put in play or whatever. This was 129 of 129 from Pat. And yeah, man, it, it's it's just so funny. And and I love that, that everyone was, was like... It's like, yeah, this he's he's that dude. We've been making Hoberg jokes all year, but the fact that he did it in the World Series is, is just amazing. So congrats to him. And and you can't the- spell Pat Hoberg <laughs> without goat. Goat. No, you you can't. And here's the other thing. Something that has been very um unclear is how the umpire assignments get made. And what was really cool is before when it was announced that he was gonna be on. They, they, you know, there's another uh, account called um, Scorecard Analysis that that said that Pat had the fewest games, fewest career games in the big leagues before being assigned World Series uh, home plate game. And that makes me feel like, okay, actually MLB is somewhat taking into account who is good at umping and we are going to give them the World Series assignment. Now, that's not perfect because they've still had uh, some all kinds of terrible umps 
that are usually the older, more experienced ones uh, in, in the World Series because it's tenure and that's how this stuff works. But it did it did make me feel a little bit better to see that they actually did seemingly pick some of the best ones. Trip Gibson, another one. I think he's going to be behind the plate at some point in this series. He's another one of the best ones this season. So, so it's good to see that, that maybe they are actually putting some of the best guys behind home. But he has set the bar quite high, and I do not anticipate anybody clearing it again anytime soon. So I'll uh, all praise Pat Hobart. All right. One more topic uh, before we go. We wanted to do a little bit of, of news. Now, Jake, I know you have a bit of a, a rant is maybe a little strong, um, but before we get to this one bit of news we are going to cover on this episode, I know that you're not particularly thrilled that you are even having to keep up with any of this. Is that is that fair? No news during the World Series, please. No news during no the LCS. Yes. <laughs> no, no news. No, no new news. Okay? No new news. We're locked into stuff, Okay. I understand like the Kansas City beat writers have to, you know, do something. But that being said, like, I just I find it exhausting to keep up with where it's like, oh, yeah, there was this four and a half hour at World Series game last night. David Stearns isn't here anymore. You're like, what? <laughs> and I just we there's so much dead time in the offseason that we can like the Royals can wait a week. Right, MLB can put. I believe there is a rule about this. For in yes, some way. For, for some news and transactions, you're not supposed to release it during the days of the World Series. But the problem is, this stuff leaks anyway. So it, right, it, 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 yeah, it's just dumb. I don't like it. I'm willing to talk about it because you know it is my job. But I just find it exhausting. And we love. I will say the one part of it I love is that if you go to MLB Trade Rumors, the best baseball website, you will find. No evidence of the World Series happening. Rangel, Ra- Royals hire uh, Matt Quattro. Qu- I'm going to do my best. Quattraro as manager. Trade candidates: Zach Plesac, Aaron Savali. These are the headlines. NL West notes: Nimmo, Rockies, Padres, Lawler. It's incredible. Breakout so- candidate: Brian De La Cruz. Orioles outright get, Chris Ellis and Aramis Garcia. There's no evidence in the World Series going on. Occasionally, you'll get like, you know, NLDS rot here. I see this Dodgers NLD ro- NLDS roster does not include Craig Kimbrell, right? So that's one that maybe maybe will leak its way into MLBTR. But you're totally right. I have one slight. I, I I totally get where you're coming from. I have one slight slight adjustment to your complaint from my perspective. Okay. Actual news in terms of hirings of managers and stuff, I actually don't think that can wait. And I think that these teams are trying to do that as quickly as possible. And I don't blame them for trying to get that done as much. However, free agency rumors for teams that are out of the postseason, those can fucking wait. Because no one is allowed to sign for at least another two weeks. That is exhausting. That I do not enjoy. And I I don't, listen, I don't blame the Cubs blogs for being like, Cubs interested in Trey Turner? Every you know thirty minutes, it's like okay, I, I I understand that. So maybe this is on us to unfollow some people, especially during this time of year. That's fine. Those are the ones where I'm like, no, no, no. I'm sorry, I can't do that because <laughs> that cannot happen. Nothing is going to happen. I'm not interested in it. I don't even think the players are thinking about it yet. So that is the ones when I the actual hirings, whatever. However, the one here's yeah. a great example: yeah. large gap remains between Red Sox, Rafael Devers, and extension talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think that's going to happen right now. It's, it's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. And that said, there is one actual thing that, that did happen 
that we did want to talk about because we won't be talking about it this winter. And that is Nolan Arenado opting into his contract. He opted in to the remaining five years, $144 million in his contract. Now, first glance, it's like, well, yeah, that's a lot of money. What are you going to say? I'm Jake, would you opt out of $144 million? What, what do you think? Um, Personally, like yeah. where I'm at financially, right. I don't want to reveal my financial, you know, right. I don't, private you don't information. Yeah. But I would, I would want the money probably. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I think so. Too. I wouldn't garner that much on the free agent market. So if that was <laughs> what I was being paid, I would, I would keep it. So, uh, people are looking at, oh my God, this is what, what, what the hell? Why would he take so he just had put up an MVP season. He could get so much more on the open market. And I think that this is a rare case. And I know people are mad at the Cardinals and people don't want people to be happy with the Cardinals. And I get that. And they say, no, go set the market. Go, you know, break the bank. You're Nolan Arenado. Go get another huge contract. And sure, I, I understand that argument. At the same time, I kind of appreciate Nolan being like, you know what? Let's not even, I don't want, it's, it's, it would be exhausting to go through the, the charade of hitting free agency and then. And he he clearly wants to say that, right? That's very obvious, right? Could he take get hit free agency and and say I want to stay here, but hey, give me another sixty million dollars? Yeah, he he probably could have done that, but instead he's like, I just don't want to think about it. I can guarantee myself one hundred forty four million dollars, and even funnier, I can guarantee thirty million of that from the Rockies, <laughs> and so which they still owe over the next uh, some of over the next five years, and so like yeah, I I, I can't. You know, it's sort of the same as with extensions, with team-friendly extensions, when it's that much money. It's like, yeah, he could probably get more. He's comfortable. He doesn't want to deal with with what free agency entails, which isn't always fun for players. And so, eh, okay. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Once in his life, Nolan Arenado took the large bag of money mm-hmm. to be in a place where he wasn't happy. <laughs> Had that turn out, right? <laughs> He's on the Cardinals now, right? (laughs) And I think that Arenado, because of the experience he had in Colorado, values his peace of mind. Now, how much is my peace of mind? Um, I would take 60 extra mil. I don't mind about that peace of mind. But for him, in his state, it's clear that he's prioritizing this. And that's fine for him. St. Louis is a, if you're good, is a great place to play ball. It's a nice place to make a life. They love you there. They see you at the super. They, you walk into Schnucks, you know, down at the supermarket, and they say, hey, that's Dolan Arenado. And you're like, yes, it's me. I'm here to buy deli meat. And that's great for him. Now, I have no other thoughts because well, it's the World Series. Yeah, no, I agree. The last thing I'll say is I also selfishly appreciate this because I did not. What If he had gone into free agency, this whole winner would have been like shortstop, shortstop, shortstops, DeGrom, Rodon, Judge. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's Arenado. He's just hanging out. He obviously wants to go back to the Cardinals, blah, blah, blah. It's like it would not have been a particularly fun free agency to follow. It would have just been him and St. Louis going back and forth for four months until he signed for, you know, $200 million instead of 144 Like that. That's just what would have happened. So we don't even have to play that charade. Congrats to him on his guaranteed 144 even if it's below market. He'll be just fine. All right, I think that's it. We're going to cut this episode here. Uh, Jake, I know you will be heading to the to the ball yard soon, and we will talk again after game three. 
uh i this is this is gonna be a hell of a week man i am very excited for these games and uh as we've been doing we'll continue to podcast after every game and give you our immediate reactions uh so thank you to chris tyler for producing this episode uh, thank you all for listening and uh yeah you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you have and leave a baseball player i mentioned that because we we just got one recently and it just said freddie galvis you don't need to write Hell nice yeah. words about us just give us a just a just name a baseball player and freddie galvis is exactly Dude. who i'm thinking about as we return to philadelphia for the world series Dude, Freddie Galvis is a great player for the for the Phils, man. <laughs> it's good to be back here in Philadelphia. Freddie Galvis, man, they could really use him. Huh? Is he is he is he throwing out first pitch? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I mentioned this with the Astros, right? They're running out of guys to do first pitches. Philly is not. Philly's got a lot of guys to choose from. They got I don't know where Cole Hamels is, but he better be in Philly. Yeah, well, we'll you'll you'll find out in, in a few hours, as as will we all. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Serious XM Podcasts.